Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the adventures of the amazing, astonishing, acrimonious, uh, who knows, whatever, uh, Tales of the Highly Unlikely. Yes, there we go. some kind of game leader. Yes, a game leader, a uh, dungeon. Uh, does it turn these cretins on, the idea that I will sodomize their geek leader? Oh, that's the most ridiculous... What? What? Direct message. Direct message. Oh, that, that makes even less sense. So I'm going to slide into an envelope. Like, I'm going to wear the envelope like some sexy wrapping paper? Or, or is it the letter itself? I'm gonna wrap the letter around me like a paper burrito. Slide into your direct message. Is that like some form of Morse code telegraphy and I'm going to, uh... I make myself part of the transmission? Oh, this is ridiculous. At least sodomizing their game master makes sense. It, it has some sexy time connotation. This is just preposterous. Well, how am I to know? You can never underestimate the tomfoolery of these young monstrosities. They're just a bunch of oversexed nutbags with diabolical hormone cocktails popping around their pheromone stinking bodies like a, a cauldron of hormone-laced amphetamines. It invades their already unhinged minds, making them into morons. No. No, I'm not in the least prejudiced towards the terrible youth of today. Not you listening right now. You're different. You're special. I like you. Stating that they're all a bunch of idiots is not a subjective slur. It's a simple statement of fact. And if it's any sad consolation, they don't improve with age. They just go on to become moronic adults. They might even be worse when they're older. Oh, look at me. I'm an adult. I'm going to sit around in my own flatulence and self-righteously argue about the clown show that passes for politics all day, so convinced that I'm right, despite the fact that all my opinions were pre-formulated for me by factors of my life I had nothing to do with and could never mentally question or rise above. Look at how patronizingly I can fling my own feces like an overexcited simian. I'm so wise. At least the younger cretins still have some degree of an open mind, even if they invariably choose to only let perverted anime fill their moping excuse for a psyche. God, I hate this city. Alright, today's episode is brought to you by Colleen's Bagels. Mm, I love bagels. Too bad I can't actually 
eat one, it might go a long way towards improving my mood. Although, it was at Collins Bagels, made, by the way, with no cannibalized meat, I think. I mean, it's a bagel. Well, other than the questionable pink stuff that passes for smoked salmon. I mean, really, where is this place going to get smoked salmon? What is this, Finland? You've never heard of Finland? Well, of course not. It's an imaginary land mentioned in a few childhood fairy tales. Anyway, Lord knows what that pink stuff actually is, but the patrons seem to enjoy it, so who am I to question it? Maybe it is cannibalized meat, how do I know? But it makes for good bagels, that's the important part. Colleen's Bagels, yum yum. Anyway, it was at Colleen's Bagels that I met that Llewellyn woman, smart as a tack comes from a very interesting bloodline. Published some good papers before the war. Has some very, very colorful ancestors. We're going to meet up, discuss some ideas. I believe she could be beneficial for the master plan I am formulating to bring this city to its screaming, fiery knees. And with that is your introduction for today. Let us now continue our tale of William and his many troubles. William, Cola, and Percy found themselves in a hot, arid world that civilization-wise was somewhere in the middle of their agricultural revolution. Davish was transported with them, but arrived dead. They had to walk and explore for some time before they found any other humans and were on the verge of starvation when they did. The four native men they stumbled across were wary of them and more distrustful of the three males, possibly because of their gender, possibly because they had never seen a white skin tone before. Cola's dark skin matched theirs, however, and they were willing to interact with her. They didn't speak each other's language, however which was odd, because the group had been jumping time after time and had always had jumped to worlds where there was no language barrier. William would come to better understand the rules of these things, but for now he was starving, disheveled, and still fairly traumatized. Cola was quite intelligent, as were these four native men, and they quickly worked out some basic communication. It was agreed that William, Cola, and Percy would be taken to their village, Human settlements here were small. They had developed village life, but had never had reason to develop urban civilization. On the way to the village, Cola managed to get into an argument with one of the men, which made William nervous. But the other native males just smiled slyly at him. William and Cola were fed, pawed over, and given straw mats to sleep on. Over time, they settled in, learned the language, built themselves huts with the help of their new family, and became part of the community. Cola and the man she had argued with spent a great deal of time together, and within a matter of months, Cola was pregnant. William had no idea that he would one day meet this baby's far-off descendant, a girl named Asha. William learned to farm and hunt, and while this type of life wouldn't have been his first choice, or in the top 50, really, it wasn't so bad once you got used to it, and the comfort of a close community did wonders to his traumatized psyche. There were, however, two remaining issues. 
he was supposed to find some dwarves in the center of the world. He had no idea how to do this. He tried exploring caves, asking around, but to no avail. There was hope, however. The summer summit was coming, when clans from across the known land assembled at a religious site about 150 kilometers away. Information was exchanged, and this would be the place to ask. Number two, he was a young man, and he had urges. Urges, and not much of a prospective pool. There just weren't very many people, much less other gay men, who were interested in him sexually. He had worked out that a woman he knew, Tianga, was likely lesbian, so he asked her what his options were. She told him to just wait for the summit. It was a religious gathering, among other things, and one of the gods, Mira, was the hermaphrodite goddess of gay. In Mira's shrine was where all the gay people from across the wide land congregated. She smiled widely at him and assured him his desires would be taken care of there. Thus, in the early summer, everyone set off to the summit, it was a seven-day walk, although it could have been done shorter, but they stopped at many other villages along the way for meals and socializing. The summit took place at a series of shrines, the closest thing to an urban area that existed here and which had been built back when everyone was still hunters and gatherers. Tianga took him to the Shrine of Mira. It was three rooms, one for men, one for women, and one for alternative options that didn't fall into a strict male or female segregation. It was a non-stop orgy. Put a bunch of people who have almost no erotic options available for an entire year together, and they will usually adopt a get-it-while-you-can approach. William couldn't speak for the lesbian room, but the male room was a massive orgy, and this is how it was that he finally lost his virginity. The goddess Mira apparently liked dates, and one was to leave dates at her stone statue. William did so. Daily. The summit was productive in other regards. A clan that lived to the far southwest had legends of caves that led to a great wheel deep in the earth and strange men down there who fed it liquid fire. Arrangements were thus made. William and Percy would go back with the Southwest group to be shown the caves. Cola was too pregnant to make the journey, which would take weeks. They promised to return to her soon, and thus, at the end of the summit, they bid farewell to the clan that had become their family and began the long journey to the Southwest. They bonded well with this new clan during the journey and were excited to see their village. Villages down south were larger, with more stone structures, irrigation canals, and in general, inching much closer to urban civilization than in the north. However, as they neared the village, they heard a strange humming, and were greeted with one of the clan running out in panic. The village was under attack. Monsters. A massive wave of tiny little black creatures, gnomes, were pouring all over the village, eating the flesh of everyone they covered. Run, he warned. Run. There were so many. They poured all over everything. They came through a tear in the world, streaming in, vicious, horrific, showing no mercy. 
The males of the group insisted on heading to the village to defend it, although they too would be covered in gnomes who would rip their flesh with their little teeth until they fell and died. One of the older women turned to William and Percy and told them the caves were their best bet of escape, and so led them there as the screams from the village sounded along with a horrible, high-pitched buzzing that grew louder and louder and louder. William, Percy, and the women entered the caves. They wandered until they came to a fork. The women said that one of the ways led down to the ones who lived below, but she and the other women were unwilling to go. Percy volunteered to stay with them and defend them, which was a noble act, although the women were generally far better fighters than he was. William promised to be back. It took him several more hours to make his way downwards, the caves becoming hotter and hotter as he went. At last, he heard a deep singing, which he followed until he reached the most fantastic sight he had yet seen, the dwarves and their great wheel. The passage he had traveled led into a vast, vast cavern, perhaps almost a kilometer wide. In the center was a hole that took up most of the cavern and which went further down than William was comfortable looking. Taking up the hole was an immense three-wheeled contraption. The three wheels interconnected like a massive timepiece. There were other smaller wheels and moving parts, and William became convinced it was indeed some sort of timepiece. Ramps led from the ledge down into the great wheel, and dwarves streamed to and fro, some pushing wheelbarrows full of ore down into the hole, presumably feeding the wheel. A group of four dwarves approached William. "'The fool comes to see us!' exclaimed one. "'The wandering jewel!' exclaimed another. "'It is an honor,' said the third. The fourth offered his hand for William to shake. "'It is indeed an honor,' he said. "'You are the greatest hope we have produced.' "'Will produced, he is not transcended yet,' corrected the second. "'The first great hope,' said the first. He will lead to the eagle, said the third. No, the next hope to come after will likely be the phoenix, said the first. The dragon lady, it will be the dragon, said the second. Well, the phoenix, the dragon, the eagle, who can say, said the fourth. Many moving pieces. William stammered. I, it is, uh, the honor is mine. I have been sent to warn you. Yes, the gnomes, said the fourth dwarf. They have invaded this strand. We are even now learning of them and from whence they came. Please deliver your message. William told him everything the rat had told him to say. The lost ones are fearful, the second said when William had finished. This is troubling. Our task is to mind the wheel. The metaverse teeters on the brink of collapse. We dare not leave our post. The fourth turned to William. The Lost Ones told you of the Chaostrophe. William nodded. But when was it? It has just happened, said the first. A thousand years ago, said the second. Five hundred years ago, said the third. A week ago, a thousand years, it is all the same, said the fourth. Time is fluid. You will learn, great fool. The movement of time in between strands on this, the third level, is it's arbitrary. Leave a narrative for a minute, return and find a century has passed. Leave again for a century and find a minute has passed. 
it will not seem to make much sense. You must view from the sixth level to see, said the first. It will be very, very long until you view from the sixth, said the third. Or the first, said the second. The information field. Unclear whether you will ever make it to the seventh, said the first. But you will pave the way, said the fourth. For the eagle, said the first. For the dragon lady, said the second. Or the phoenix, said the third. The gnomes are unforeseen, said the fourth. It is bad. He turned to William. You cannot leave the way you came. Already they come. The other dwarves around them were putting down their tools. Our time grows short. Listen. The metaverse is seven levels. The one with space and watchtowers is but one. The gnomes have discovered it, and they are compromising it. I will send you to the sublevel. The sublevel is... It is difficult. It is near incomprehensible for the uninitiated. And you are uninitiated. But you must head there first. I am sorry. Just like the raven will, said the third. You will drown in madness for a time, but you are strong, and you will transcend. This sublevel, uh, the area you will enter. The box, said the second. The realm, said the first. The piece of the sublevel you will enter, it's a tiny area ruled by the Hierophant. You must tread very carefully with him. He is very stern, cruel, and unforgiving. Be extremely respectful. It is crucial that you pass him into the main sublevel byway. Gnomes poured into the vast chamber. They began attacking the dwarves, covering them and biting them, ripping off their flesh in little tiny pieces. The fourth dwarf prepared his pick. We are breached. Listen, the fool becomes the magician, but he must travail and prevail, and the journey takes a very, very long time. Long life is not a blessing. You will meet other dwarves, but you will have gone through much before this happens. I am sorry. I do not envy you how much you must learn and how you must learn it. The other dwarves were shouting in rage and pain now. Some were bleeding and falling. The fourth dwarf's eyes were wet with tears. This wheel is compromised, and the verse will teeter with instability. These cretins don't understand what they do. Maybe all our prophecies are in vain. He started to snarl. It is time for you to go. I will fall with honor. Master the archetypes, as many as you can. Pave the way. You are part of a great experiment. The gods must be replaced or it will all collapse like a house of cards. It is so much more fragile than mortals dare imagine. If you knew how fragile, you would weep. He turned to the gnomes who were pouring towards him and William. Goodbye, fool. It has been my pleasure. Tell any others of our kind you meet we died with honor. He grabbed a handful of ore and threw it on the ground. He drew a sigil with his pick, then pushed William into it. The last sight William saw before he passed along was the dwarf running towards the hordes of gnomes, screaming in rage. All right, 
Show of hands, everybody who thinks we should discontinue this inane music section of our podcast. Hands up. Oh, look, all the hands in the room are up. Count one, two, my right hand and my left hand. Forced to endure this torture every single podcast. My God, will my troubles never cease? All right, here's your, your noise pollution for today.
I've seen it all, boys. I've been all over, been everywhere in the whole wide world. I rode the high line with old blind Darby. I danced real slow with Ida as full of wonder when I left my freeze bro I'm full of hollow on Maxwell Street and I hope my pony I hope my pony I hope my pony knows the way back home I walked from Natchez to Hush Burkina I built a fire by the side of the road I worked for nothing in a Belzoni sawmill I caught a blind out on the B&O Tallulah's friendly Belzoni ain't so A 44 gets you 99 And I hope my pony I hope my pony I hope my pony knows the way back home I run my race with burn face Jake I gave him a man's and eat a cross Lived on nothing but dreams and train smoke. Somehow my watch and chain got lost. I wish I was home in Evelyn's kitchen with old Jim curled around my feet. And I hope my pony, I hope my pony, I hope my pony knows the way back home. Perfect 
for a very short time.